Turn in your Bibles or turn on your Bibles, however you're going to access the Scriptures this morning, uh, to John chapter 20. Uh, the Gospel of John chapter 20 will pick up in verse 19. He used to say, I love to hear the, the flipping of the pages and of hearing, and now you just, you just experience the warm glow of your device, <laughs> right? <laughs> however you're experiencing God's Word this morning, I pray it's uh, transformative in your life. Um, and I want to speak a message where we're kind of going to go back to the basics of the church and the kingdom and, and, and the mission of Christ and, and kind of get down to some basics. And this is a moment when we, the church, receive from the Lord our commission, our, uh, our mission to go and take the gospel. And there's this just moment here that he steps into their lives and does this. And we're called to be the church in this passage and to take the gospel message into a world that please hear me, desperately needs hope. And, and we're to be, we have the privilege of stepping into that worldwide redemptive mission. So to begin with, I have a few questions for you this morning. These are, these are personal questions or things for you to process personally. Anyone in here looking for more peace in their life today? Yeah, amen? Several of you, yeah? The rest of you, I'm not, I think you're lying. Yeah. Um, anybody looking for more peace in the world today? I mean, have you, have you checked out the news? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We live in a very broken, noisy, distracted, violent world, don't we? Uh, and that is in desperate need of peace. How about some other questions? Like, how do you know, how do I know if I'm living on purpose? Uh, that's a question we're going to deal with today. Where do I begin to serve God in his kingdom? Here's one. How will the world be a better place because of Faith Baptist Mandarin, because of the work of this church? How will this community be changed by the gospel because of the ministries of the church? All of these questions are, are wrapped up in the story that we're going to talk about this morning. And so it's a very critical time. Addressing these questions really means that you don't just look at our life in Christ as a, a moment or a, a direction, but it's a process. And here's what that means. It means that your spiritual life is more, um, it is a spiritual journey not a pleasure cruise. Um, Pastor, maybe you've heard about there's these cruises that you can get on up in New York or other big cities, and you can get on the boat, and uh, they go out, they leave the harbor, and they go out into the ocean, and for several days, you can just do everything that you would do on a cruise ship. You can eat all the food and go to the shows and all the entertainment and so forth, and they just kind of avoid all the bad weather, but they never stop anywhere. They just kind of meander out there in the ocean, and at the end of three or four or five days, they just kind of come right back to where they started, right? And by the way, they call these, these cruises a cruise to nowhere, now, that's not a bad idea for a cruise, uh, but can I tell you, that's not a really good plan for your life. That's not Jesus's plan for our life, to be a cruise to nowhere, where we go to church, we kind of go through the motions, we, we participate in things, but there's no growth, there's no direction, there's no sentness to our lives, there's no mission that directs it. So, we're going to, to not look at our lives as a cruise to nowhere, but in fact, the, the, the spiritual life is not a cruise at all. It's more of a, more of a battleship life, isn't it? We have a mission and we have an enemy. And we better wake up and realize we're in a war. And in fact, you know, the Bible says, it says that principalities are warring all around us. And we've got to wake up to those realities and realize not only are we not on a cruise ship, we're on a warship. And uh, so as we look at this passage, we're going to look at the kind of a, um, a moment. It's up in the upper room. They, the, the disciples had just witnessed the death of their leader, their Savior. 
and they are without hope. They're afraid. And it's just at that moment when it seems all is lost, when they're fearful, they're behind locked doors, that Jesus steps in and says to them these things. So John chapter 20, picking up in verse 19. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in their midst and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. And when he had so said, he showed unto them his hands and his side. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. Then said Jesus to them again, Peace be unto you, as my Father hath sent me, even so send I you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and saith unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Verse 23, Whosoever sins ye remit, they are remitted unto them, and whosoever sins ye retain, they are retained. This is God's word. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for all of Scripture. It is a lamp unto our feet that keeps us from stumbling and a light unto our path that keeps us from straying. May we hide these words deep in our hearts that we may not sin against you. And all God's people said, amen. I want to focus, I'm a real easy to follow preacher. I just got like four or five points that I want to bring out of this passage this morning. When you say, Rick, is it four or five? That depends on how fast you listen, okay? Uh, but I just a few things that I want to pull out here that are real obvious, and then we're going to apply them in, into our lives. Fair enough? So the first thing is this. Uh, the first principle I see in this passage that deals with, with our lives and our, our mission in our life is this. Jesus gives us the pattern to live sin. He gave us the pattern to live sin. Look back, it's actually in verse 21, where he says, just as, or as the Father has sent me. So it's not like, hey, I'm doing a new thing. This has never happened before. No, no, no. He's saying, hey, something back here in the past happened, and now I'm doing something new that kind of mirrors what happened in the past. Just like the Father sent me, I'm now sending you, which begs the question, well, how did the Father send him? What was the nature of that mission? I want to think about that for a moment, because I think sometimes we don't we miss this in, in the sentness of Jesus. Uh, things like this, that the Father, when he sent Jesus, he sent Jesus from all the glory of heaven to the slums of a backwater Jewish outpost. From all the peace and the joy of paradise to a noisy, painful, sinful world. Jesus left all the safety of the angelic guard to a dangerous and violent world. He left a place of no need to a place of great and constant need. He left a place with no sin, no death, to a culture where death and sin and disease are pervasive in the culture. No one, please listen, no one has ever gone further, paid a greater price than the one that we follow, than the one whose name is the banner that we, we march under. His name is Jesus. And he leaves, he left all of the glory of heaven to come to earth. And no one has ever been a greater missionary. No one has ever gone further or paid a greater price than the one whose name we call Savior. Which means that we follow in his footsteps. The, the one that he's not only our Lord and he's our Savior, according to this, he's our example. He's saying, just as the Father has sent me, if you're wondering what this thing should look like, look at how I was sent, and this is going to be the way in which you are sent. So there's a pattern there. So if we're a follower of Jesus, then we're following in the steps and the shape of our life should look like a missionary as one who is sent. 
Now, we use words like that, and I think it's important to define that a missionary, sometimes we think those are people who come around Christmas time and raise money, and they wear funny clothes from other continents, and uh, we appreciate them, and we pray for them, and that's good and fine uh, that we should. It creates awareness about the global mission of Jesus. But can I tell you that if you call Jesus Lord, you've already had a commissioning service. Right here in John 20, it happened. Uh, we don't have to have another one. I mean, we can do that. There's nothing wrong with having a commissioning. In fact, it's a good thing to do that, to acknowledge that and, and to celebrate that. But biblically speaking, theologically speaking, you and I, if you call yourself a believer and a follower of Jesus, you're following one who is on mission. Therefore, it goes to say we are on mission. It would be like this. How, how many of you, men or women, served in our, or serve now or are veteran in our United States military? Any of the branches? Yeah, like Goodness gracious, half the room goes up. So it would be like this, and you're not going to like what I'm going to say, but it would be like this. It would be like if somebody were to come in here this morning in the full uniform and regalia of one of uh, officers of one of our armed forces services branch, and they had all the insignia and everything was perfect in their uniform, and we said, oh, thank you for your service to our country. Can you tell me what is your commission? Where do you serve? And they said, oh, no, I'm not serving anywhere. I just like wearing the uniform. I think that's illegal, right? I mean, you can't do that, <laughs> right? I mean, it's just something fundamentally wrong about wearing the uniform and not having a mission. Have I started meddling yet? We kind of go through the motions. We kind of, you know, do the thing. And here we are and kind of involved. And that's good. It's good. But don't forget that fundamentally, we are a people who have been sent. Now, we're going to unpack this some more. So just, just hang on to that. The commissioning that we have is to live as one sent by Jesus. Maybe not in a, you know, a formal, you know, like a mission board kind of a deal. Although, again, love that, part of that, support that, pray for that. That's good. But that's not just for like, you know, the few and the proud kind of a thing. This is for everyone who Jesus is Lord over. Because he says here, just as the Father has sent me, so send I you. It kind of follows in the same vein in John 17, where in the high priestly prayer, when he said he prayed the same commission over us, that we, that we would take his place in the world. Big shoes to fill. You realize that being in the world is the intended location for a Christian. Let me, let me unpack that a little bit. You know, the Bible says to be in the world, not of the world. What, is, what does that mean? Well, first of all, that we, the intended place for the believer is to be in the world, because that's what God loves. It would be kind of like this. Uh, if we went out after church today, and you're making your way home or to lunch, and you get out on San Jose, and there is a big boat right in the middle of San Jose Boulevard. Not on a trailer, like just a boat sitting in the middle of traffic. We would think somebody's having a really bad day, is what we would think. Because the intended place for a boat is not on the highway. The intended place for a boat is down the street where? In the river or in the sea. Please hear me. The intended place for a believer is to be in the world, but not of the world. You see, no boat has ever sunk because it was in the water. Never. The boat sinks because the water got in the boat. Friend, you and I are supposed to be sent into a world that God loves, for God so loved the world. 
that he gave. He sent his son. You and I are sent into a world that God loves. That's our intended place to be, but please don't let the world get into you or you're sunk. That's the way we're sent. Just as the Father sent him, you and I are sent, which takes me to my second point. You're listening right on time. And that's this. We experience God's peace when we live sin. Did you notice in verse 19 and in verse 21, two times, the only thing that he he repeats himself in this passage, and there's a reason he repeats himself. He says, peace to you, peace to you. You see, we experience the peace of Christ when we are involved in the mission of Christ. Did you hear that? We are experiencing the peace of Christ the more we engage. That doesn't mean you're going to have a carefree life. It means when you have the presence of the living word of God, Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, when you have his presence in your life, peace comes with it regardless of your circumstances. That does not mean you have a risk-free, pain-free life. In fact, some of the most dangerous moments, I could tell stories, you could tell stories, but some of the most dangerous moments of my life have been because I was following Jesus in countries all around the world, in, in some places here in Jacksonville. But what it does mean is the more I engage in the mission of Christ, the more I receive of His presence and understand his presence and and appreciate his presence in my life. And that's where the peace is found. You get outside of the presence of the living God, you're not going to find much peace. If you're wondering why there's not much peace in your life, it may be because you've gotten out of the presence of Jesus. And the reason you're out of the presence of Jesus is because you're not in the mission of Jesus. You see, in the mission is where you find the presence of Christ. Now, Think about this for a moment. Where were the disciples? They were up there huddled in the, in the upper room. They were scared, says that in the text. They were, the, the laws were against them. The legal authorities were pressing in on them. They were being hunted down. That's why were they up there in a locked room? Because they were scared. They were literally locked, behind locked doors in a secret place. And the, the laws and the, the legal authorities of that day were increasingly opposed to them. The very people they were being called to reach were, were seeking to oppose them. Does that sound kind of familiar? More and more, now we don't have persecution here in the United States like it exists around the world. And we need to pray for and be aware of and raise consciousness and fight against religious persecution all over the world. But it is the truth that here in the United States of America, we are increasingly in a culture that is not necessarily persecuting the church, but is opposing the church. And the laws are not going our way, friends. Go back to 2015 and what the Supreme Court did with marriage, and we could go on and on and on. We are down a slippery slope in our culture that's moving increasingly further and further away from what this book teaches And as the world goes further, these are the people that are opposing us, and these are the people we're trying to reach. That's a scary thought. And it's in the middle of that moment, when the disciples are realizing this, that Jesus steps in the room. And can I just tell you, there may be some things that the Lord is calling you to do um, in your life here and serving in the church or out in the community or, or whatever the Lord is called, maybe calling you to plant a church down the road in Rivertown, where, wherever the Lord is calling you to say yes and move forward, 
you're probably going to have some moments of fear. And can I just assure you that just as Jesus stepped into this room, he'll step into the room of your heart if you say yes. Because he's calling us to live on his mission. Now, and by the way, following him and his mission for many in that room, in that upper room, cost them their very lives. It did. Many were martyred for the faith. If we understand the rest of the scriptures and the rest of church history, uh, we understand that many of these early disciples, it cost them their lives to follow Jesus. But he promised them his peace in the middle of that. Which brings me to my third point, and that is this. We can live sent because of the empowering of the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Ghost that comes in and does. We don't just kind of conjure up our effort to do this. Aren't you glad we have a, a Savior who not only sends us, gives us his peace, and then empowers us with the Holy Spirit to accomplish that which he's called us to do? Look what it says there back in verse 22. It says, he breathed on them. What's that about? Well, remember back in Genesis chapter 2 when God breathed into Adam, what happened? He lit up, right? <laughs> he became alive. In fact, the, the, God, the, the Bible says about God's word that it is God-breathed, theopneutos. It is God-breathed. That means it's live and active and living. This isn't just another book. And you aren't just an a animate object. You are alive because of the breath of God is in you. That's biological life. Well, Jesus is, is, is talking about spiritual life here. He breathed the Holy Spirit, and they received the Holy Spirit to the church. That's the empowerment. That's the energizer bunny energy that we're going to need to accomplish that which he's called us to do. That's how much he loves us. He not only calls us and sends us, he gives us peace, and then he gives us the power to do it. Now, so we have his presence, we have his peace, we have the Holy Spirit's empowerment, What's wrong? <laughs> why, why is it that, you know, just the church, well, it is in some parts around the world, but why don't we see the church prevailing more here in North America? Why does it seem that the church, there's so many churches in need of revitalization and replanting and, and all of those kinds of things? Well, I love what Pastor Tony Evans says about this. He says, our problem in North America isn't time. TV watching, video game playing, and sports and all that's not on the decline. People seem to have more disposable time to do those kinds of things. Uh, the problem is not energy. We play recreation and softball, people running and, and sports and that sort of thing. Uh, the problem isn't money. Most of us, I mean, there, is, there are serious issues of resource challenge with people. I, I get that even here in Jacksonville. But most of us know where we're going to eat lunch today and dinner tonight. And we have at least one, if not two or more vehicles in our, in our, car, in our driveways. And so we're, we're, we have the basics of life. It's not that we don't have the means to do it. He says that our problem is priorities. We're not putting the first thing first. We have all the power we need available to do, us, to do everything God has called us to do, but I have to make sure that I'm relying on his strength and not my strength. Remember the old song, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. We've got to stand on the rock. We have to kind of get back to our priorities, as it says in Psalm 1, and, and, and make sure we're rooted properly on the person of Jesus Christ. We have all of the Holy Spirit, but does the Holy Spirit have all of us? Number four, 
we can live sent when we obey the Great Commission. This is a Great Commission moment here, here in, in the book of John, the Gospel of John. And the reality is, if you're a follower of Jesus, you've already had that commissioning service right here in John chapter 20. You can just circle that and go, hey, I'm sent. I'm, right here it says, I've already been sent. I'm not just like sitting on the sidelines here. Jesus said in the game right now, tap you on the shoulder, time to go. You're in. But the only question is, do you know to whom you are sent? You see, when, when couples come forward, and as Southern Baptists, um, we partner together with 47,000 other churches across the United States and other places, and we commission people. In fact, just last Wednesday night up in Virginia, they had a commissioning service and commissioned around 24 couples, if I, my memory serves. I watched a little bit of it online. And we set aside 24 couples that you and I, as we participate in cooperative program, help to fund to send to the nations, the Ponta to Ethnos so that every tongue, tribe, and people group would know Jesus is Lord. And we get to be a part of that. And it's good and proper to call people out and, and affirm them and send them. But can I tell you, if you're a businessman or a businesswoman here in, in Jacksonville, and, and you're bringing the gospel into the workplace in ways that are helpful and, and, and appropriate, you're a school teacher, or you're, you're working down there at the public school, and you're, you're there not to just get a paycheck, but to, to be a missionary living sent in the public schools, or, or you're uh, volunteering in Little League or sports here in our community, and you're not just doing that to get a winning record, but you're actually doing that to see the gospel change lives as you invest in the, in the next generation— you're just as sent as those 24 couples going to the nations. There's no hierarchy of sentness. We're all level at the foot of the cross. We're all equally sent. The only, the only difference between people like that that get on a plane and go across the world is they've identified to whom they have been sent. You see, being a missionary isn't about location. It's about the mission you're on. The question is, what mission has God sent you? To whom has God sent you to reach? It's an important question. We all, what, uh, one of the ways I had a friend of mine say it is, what's my nine square feet of the Great Commission right here around me? You know, what, what is my little part of this big thing? It doesn't have to be some big public thing. It just could be a, private, you know, a very personal pub, uh, private service that you offer to the Lord in terms of taking the Great Commission. I remember, let me illustrate with a story. I remember back in... 2000, summer of 2001, I was serving on staff at church up the road at Mandarin Baptist. And we had this lady in our church, and I don't know if this is being broadcast on the internet, so I'm, I'm not going to share specific names. I'll tell you later. If you want to come down, I'll tell you the whole backstory. But there's a lady in our church who was a nurse, and she came to me about July of 2001, and she said, Rick, the father is, is speaking to me about reaching Muslim people here in Jacksonville. And to do it by teaching English, using English as a second language, as new people come to Jacksonville, engage them in English classes, and use this as our curriculum so that they get to know the author of this book. And, and cut me some slack, because it was a long time ago, but I, I really didn't know how to help her a whole lot. I was just like, well, that's great, um, but you're still going to be here for visitation on Tuesday night, right? <laughs> uh, and, that, you know, so it was, it was kind of like I, I, I knew God was doing something special. And fortunately, she didn't wait for this, this dummy to figure it out. And she just kept doing what God called her to do. And today in our city, there is a place called the International Learning Center. And it's not too far from my office, near off of uh, University Boulevard. 
They're always looking for great volunteers, by the way, so you can speak to me about that. But it is a ministry that has grown and grown and grown um, out of a passion to see people who are far from God, who literally come to Jacksonville from continents all over the world, and teach them English, but teach them the gospel in the midst of that. And listen, this isn't preacher talk. I can show you the book. This isn't like, you know, this grand story that's like partially true. This is absolutely true. You can go in there today, and I do it all the time, and say, Kim, oh, I told you her name. (laughs) Just made that up. That's a random name. Uh, I say, give me the book. Show me the book. And she'll go back, and she'll bring out this little moleskin uh, journal, and she'll open it up, and I'll look at it. And there's just name after name after name after name. And the name of the person and the country of origin that they were born in and a date. And the date is the date that that person prayed to receive Christ as their Savior. Now listen to me. The last time I checked, there were over 1,000 names in that book. She's been there since 2001 doing this with a lot of help from a lot of churches. It's one of the things, again, we don't, you're not going to see the video about it. We're not going to put it out there because it's, it's something. Because when people do that, when they come from countries where the, there is persecution, if, I, if it's known in a technology world that we live in today, if it's known that I become a Christian here, my family gets persecuted there. Follow me? And I might get persecuted here by some of my social, you know, my, my, my friends here. So... Um, and don't miss the timing of all that. When did I say she came to me? Three months before 9-11. You think the Lord had a plan? You think he's always working out his plan for good in the midst of terrible circumstances? That three months before the towers fell, there was a lady burdened with a great commission task to be sent to a people group here in Jacksonville, those who don't know him and don't know English and teach them English and share the gospel, and a thousand people are going to be in heaven today because of it, and many more, I'm sure. And like in heaven, there's going to be like the Lamb's Book of Life, like that's a real thing, and then for reference, they're going to have this other book to just check and make sure uh, it's going to be up there. Uh, But what a joy to know that things like that are happening right here in our city. And it all started when a Baptist layperson in a pew said yes. She didn't have to. She could have just continued being a nurse and come to church and go to visitation and do all the good churchy things that we ask her to do. And we still want her to do those things, by the way. <laughs> and she does, and her husband's a deacon and you know all that good stuff. But aren't you glad she said yes? Who's going to be glad 5, 10, 15 years from now, should the Lord tarry? Who's going to be glad because you said yes? It may not be something quite like, you know, but whatever it is, your mission, your calling, You see, the King of kings and Lord of lords has given to each and every one of us a specific assignment and a small part, maybe, of a big global redemptive task of reaching all of the peoples of the world with the gospel message. And you and I get cut in on the deal. We get to have a part. It's not a job. It's not a responsibility. It's a privilege to serve. I mean, if the, if the governor of the state of Florida or the president or somebody of dignitary came in here today and asked me to go get him a glass of water, I'd be, yes, sir, I'll go get you a glass of water, right? Well, hear me. The king of that king asked us to do some things. And all we have is the privilege of saying, yes, I'll do a big thing. I'll do a small thing, whatever it is you ask me to do. Because the the prominence and the, and the significance is not in the task, it's in the sender. When we do things on God's behalf, it's not significant because of the task. What makes it significant is who sent us. 
but we have to say yes. We have to be willing to let him make these changes in our lives. I want to show you a picture. should be familiar to you, um, but I heard this story a few years ago that there is a, a tower that was built in a little town in Italy back in the 1100s. They started construction in the 1100s. And after getting up to about the second floor, they realized they had some soft dirt under this thing and it began to lean. Now, for you engineers out there, it's not of significance. It's only a five-degree lean, but 183 feet tall, that five-degree lean is like 12, 13 feet off of center. And that's what it looks like when it was finished construction all these years later. And anybody been there? Uh, Been to? Yeah, several hands in the the room go up. Uh, I've not been there yet, but I've heard this story recently and I wanted to share it. Here's the rest of the story. By the way, we call this the Leaning Tower of Pisa. Anybody know what the original purpose of the tower is? What it was originally built to do? I mean, it's not just a, a tower, like, you know, it's not a lookout. or It's a bell tower to ring. There's a cathedral next door, and it rings so that people know it's time to come to worship. They didn't have, they didn't have watches. They didn't have iPhones. So they had to know what time it was to come to church. They'd ring the bell. People come to church. Well, guess what? Leaning towers don't ring bells very well. It's just the way bells work, Right. So it never really completely fulfilled its intended purpose. Hang on to that. So back in the 1960s, the Italian government came to them and said, hey, we now have the technology to fix it. We can dig under it. We can jack it up. We can put concrete under it. And we can fix that thing. Because you know what leaning towers do sometimes? They fall and hurt people. So we don't want that to happen. So the, the citizens of Pisa, Italy must be Baptists because they put it to a vote. And back in the 1960s, what do you think the good people in Italy, Pisa, Italy, decided to do with their tower? Leave it the way it is. Why? Because nobody comes across the ocean to see a straight tower. But hear me, because they've let it lean, it's never been able to fulfill its intended purpose. Friend, you and I have things in our lives sometimes that lean. They may not be completely off. It's just not right where it needs to be. And the Lord of the universe comes to us and says, let me, let me touch that. Let me fix that. Let me correct that in your life because there's something I need you to do. I have an original purpose for your life. I've created you to do something. And as a result of you doing it, more people are going to worship me. And I need you to do this, but I need to fix something first. And our role Here's the thing, we get a vote. And sometimes the Lord is not using me in his mission because I've not let him correct the leaning things in my life. I need to let him come into every corner of my heart and correct and fix everything that's off, that's broken, that needs mending, that needs healing, that needs his touch. Will you do that today? Last thing, and then we'll close. Living sent means saying yes to God right where you are. This is, this is one of those things where if you say, well, yeah, but Rick, I've got to, you don't know, I've got to go take care of this, or when, when we get our family here, or the kids get here, or I'm going to do this. And, you know, Jesus never really had that kind of a mentality with people. He always just said, no, right where you are, right now. Would you put your, yeah, can I, I there's a longer story, but the short version is this. There was, there was a moment in mine and my wife's life about 20 years ago and we were at an experiencing weekend God for couples. It was a marriage retreat down in Daytona. And Henry and Marilyn Blackaby were leading this retreat. And if you've ever gone through experiencing God or you know who Henry Blackaby is, when he speaks, you think you're in the presence of God. He, he has this voice. It's kind of like this. 
you literally like sit up straight and go, yes, Lord, you know, you think you're like Moses in the burning bush. Take off your shoes. Um, and we spent a whole weekend with, with Dr. and Mrs. Blackaby, and it was just an amazing time. And we got there on the beach on a Sunday morning uh, early. It was the last morning of the conference, and we're heading back up. And Camille and I just grabbed hands, and we're like, Lord, we're not even sure what you're asking or what's next for us, but as best we know how, we're saying yes. We're saying yes. Now, unless you think I'm really super spiritual, I was kind of hoping it wasn't like Africa or India or something, you know. But, but as, all I can tell you is as much as I could, I sincerely meant that. He was already our Lord and our Savior. That, this is not an issue of our salvation. This is a matter of surrender. This is a matter of obedience to the Lord. And all I can tell you is from that moment, it was like our spiritual life entered a whole new gear. And can I tell you, if you feel kind of like your spiritual life is stuck, you're kind of circling around, but you haven't gone anywhere, it may be something's leaning, and really right now the big thing you need to do is say yes. And I don't know what that is, but that's where the Holy Spirit comes in. And so as we kind of enter into a time of response this morning, I just want you to know as, as best as you know how, sincerely with an authentic heart, say yes. Say yes to the Lord. He always has your best intended purpose in mind. You know, sometimes I think we give up too easily. There may be some of you here this morning that you've been wrestling with something that maybe the Lord's been dealing in your heart for a long time. Maybe there's been something you know he's been calling you to do. It could be in the marketplace, could be in your job, could be here at church. Um, could be a place of service or a ministry that needs to be covered and fulfilled here, whatever that is, or maybe to go to the nations, whatever it is God's called you to do. Would you just let this morning be your yes to God? Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you're not only the one who came to tell us the way, Lord, but you showed us the way. And Lord, your word says you are the way. You don't only get the final word, Jesus, you are the final word. And Lord, I pray that here this morning, as we enter into this time of response to your word, that we would just stop and reflect, take a long look at our own life, and honestly assess, how are we doing with you? How are we doing with your command to live on mission? Lord, you've sent us. Lord, I pray that you would convict our hearts where we fall short and Lord, I pray that we would leave here more fully engaged and ready to say yes to your mission. Lord, I pray that we would sense your presence, we would relish your peace, and Lord, live in the midst of Holy Spirit empowerment. Not because we can conjure those things up, but because you have promised them in your word. Friend, if you're here this morning and um, you've never said yes to Jesus, and you need to respond to the message of the gospel that Jesus died on a cross for you, that that peace that he secured was because of those nail-scarred hands. That's the only reason we can have peace. And he can say, look, look at my hands. Look what I did for you. Friend, that salvation can be yours today.